0: On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alameen, a Muslim leader and former Black Power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosey Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tenderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Action Park Media.
0: What is meant by the Kingpin Law and how is it applied to criminal cases? According to the U.S. Code, the Kingpin Law is designed to put the heads of drug trafficking rings behind bars for a long time. This can effectively shut down an entire drug dealing operation. In order to be prosecuted under the Kingpin Law, the state must prove that the accused must have been a leader or organizer who supervised five or more people in the commission of three related federal crimes in a certain period of time. The accused must also have derived substantial profits from supervising low-level employees in a scheme to traffic drugs like heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, or marijuana. The punishments for drug kingpins are among the most severe under federal law. This is because federal prosecutors have a vested interest in putting drug kingpins behind bars for a long time.
2: In the Jimmy versus the United States government, my personal feelings surrounding the trial is that he did not get a fair shake. From when you look at all of the, uh, the pieces of the, of the case and the, the, and the people that testified against him, um, it just doesn't add up to me. It is my
0: belief that he was um, scapegoated. Previously on
3: Unjust Justice.
0: I'll tell you this. I represented people that lose trials and spend a very long time in prison afterward. And they always tell me the same thing. You fought to the death for me, and that's all I could ever ask for. I can go to sleep at night, put my head on the pillow, knowing that my lawyer did everything for me, and we lost fair and square. What you don't want to have happen is is knowing that you got that lengthy sentence and that your lawyer got kicked off unfairly, dishonestly, and illegally, and I didn't have my best shot. I didn't get my best fair chance. It's got to be killing him. I never thought for a second that we would lose that trial. And again, I've, it's not like some... Jackass lawyer speaking out of his ass You know, beating his chest I've won bigger cases And I know a case that can be won Sadly, I think the government Knew it as well, which is why I got tossed
3: Was James Rosemont a hip-hop Drug kingpin? And was he the leader of the Rosemont organization As the government alleged In their indictment? The reason why this is very important Is there's a fine line Between being a drug kingpin someone who possibly was moving kilos from state to state. This fine line meant the difference of being sentenced to 30 years or possibly life in jail, or maybe being sentenced to 10 years or less. The CCE charge or drug kingpin charge came with a stiff sentence, if found guilty. The question remained, what evidence did the Eastern District have outside of the so-called snitches that they had compiled to testify that Jimmy was indeed their leader and they took orders from him. Is it possible the truth was that cut and dry? The government wanted to believe that, but I didn't. With Jimmy going on trial for his life without his chosen attorney, he turned to an acclaimed defense attorney Gerald Chargel, someone who had no prior knowledge of who Jimmy was or any details of the case that Jimmy faced. This was a major disadvantage. It's countdown time, ladies and gentlemen. It's hot 97. We are live from the Shrine Auditorium in LA. Yeah, Char-
1: and who who better to talk to in Los Angeles yeah. than the kid game? I'm wondering how you're handling yeah. the situation with Jimmy.
2: Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy's my brother, and that's, that's you know, it's ride or die, man. So, um, you know, unfortunate situation, but, um, you know, we're going to keep our heads up and, and hope for the best. And summertime, I mean, not summertime, it is summertime, but sometimes, you know, the government be entrapping you and flipping stuff, and you never really know until, you know, the case is all rolled out and everything and at the end to see how everything plays out because, you know, we can't even see uh, Ben Laden's body. So why we believe in something that they're saying about Jimmy?
3: Right. So that's
2: what,
1: that's what you've been telling people you don't, Believe Nobody
2: else has even got the monkey balls to even say nothing about Jimmy. To ask you. Well,
1: say? you know, I'm not going to ask you nothing crazy, but I can't see but, you nah, and it's not you. ask you. No, Thank you. No, no, no. You. you
2: know, I got number love for you. Jimmy got number love for you, so it's, it's all good in the hood.
1: Do you regret hiring Shargell?
2: I definitely regret hiring Chargelle. They say Shargell is one of the best attorneys, but the Shargell that is written about wasn't the Shargell that show up to my trial. I don't know if that has anything to do with who I am. And when I say who I am, I don't know if that had anything to do with with me being a young black male. And maybe he thought I was guilty. Uh, maybe he, he bought into some of the stories because I had to keep telling him, Shargell, I'm not. A young black male with a Mercedes Benz parked in front of the um project. I am a successful businessman that owns penthouses, condos all over this country. I'm not the guy who these people are painting, and it seemed like he never really could comprehend that. And you know, one of the reasons I hired Chardell was because he. Uh, successfully defended, along with Gerald Leffcourt, Irv Gotti and, um, and Chris Gotti, and their federal case. i don't
0: know, like, there's no stories to tell. Nah, they offered us for the, the guilty plea. It was they offered us where each one of us could do like six months. Chris could stay and run the company. Then he goes in and does six months. Okay, so six months. It, it was, was basically nothing. Yeah, but yeah. you turn it down to my lawyers. To which our lawyers said, we can't guarantee victory. So our lawyers, who we had great lawyers, Chargell and Leftcourt. If I don't want you to get in trouble, but if you do call them, they're <laughs> fucking great, right? You don't want to use them, but if you do have to use them, they're brilliant. So our brilliant lawyers was like, take it. They didn't say take it, but they was they was like, wouldn't have been mad if we would have said, fuck it, we'll take it.
2: And surprisingly, one of the, the prosecutors, which was Carolyn Pocconi was one of the prosecutors that um, went after um, Irv Gotti and Chris Gotti. So I thought at least he'd have some kind of concept of how the music business was, that he knew how we collect cash, how he knew that certain things happened. So um, I thought I would have an edge with Gerald Schargel. However, he never came across that he either um, understood the case or knew about my case enough. And I think um, that was my mistake of hiring him. Um, I don't know if he didn't have enough interest in my case, but um, he did a terrible, absolute terrible job on my case.
1: During the trial, did Shargell tell or show the jury all of your business ventures and all of the stuff that you were doing, whether it was in the music business or whether it was the charity work, did he show any of that in court to show the jury the organization, the business organization that you had created for yourself and others? No, he did not um, go into all of the
2: ventures that I was involved with and all of the things. that, And that was another thing that I, I fought my attorney for um, because he just didn't know. He didn't know and he didn't care to know. And he thought he could razzle-dazzle his yeah. this case as complex as it was, and you could tell that he wasn't prepared because he didn't really cross-examine these guys
1: thoroughly the way that they should have been cross-examined. Well, yeah, Uh, and I mean, to go even further, it speaks to the point that if you're the head of of this so-called multinational drug organization, like you said, if, if that's what you were doing, how did you have any other time to do these other things? I would assume if the jury had a clear picture of what you were doing on the business end of things, it, it might have made a difference. Now, was there people that you asked to come to go on the stand and testify that didn't, or was it just it just sort of? Sharkel uh, said, "I don't think that's a good idea." Well, everybody
2: that I I told him I wanted to testify for me, he didn't contact. Um, there's affidavits of guys who. I had requested for him to go, who wrote affidavits for me, in my pill, that um, he never contacted them. He did no investigation Todd contacting them. There were road managers who worked for me that was willing to testify that they always collected cash for me. Um, because, again, the other biggest part of their case was unexplained cash.
3: I was able to talk with someone who knew Jimmy and worked with him in the music business to get an outside perspective on some of the questions I was still struggling with. I had to protect his identity. Here he is.
1: From what you've read or understand, was the government able to separate what was his legitimate money and what they were saying was his illegal money? And what
4: I've been able to ascertain, no, which is something that has perplexed me reading through all of the paperwork so far—it's um, thrown me off because, to your point, if you made X amount of dollars managing a Mike Tyson and you did all these cash transactions managing game, then how do you differentiate between? Where do you draw the line between the drug proceeds and the legal money? In addition to, in reading some of the uh, paperwork. They initially tried to um, get him on taxes and they couldn't get anything on taxes. So that's something that I think we we need to take a look at. How much money did he pay on taxes? How much uh, money was he was he claiming to have made legally? That's something that I think needs to be taken a look at,
1: because I I would assume there has to be some sort of evidence or some sort of banking that shows that he's grossed to more than $10 million in one year. And right. that money is all drug money. Or that money is not mixed hip-hop business money and drug money all circulating in the same bank account or whatever it is, right?
4: Well, I think, I think it has to be pretty much simple math, meaning that, if he claimed two million dollars in taxes that he paid in on in any particular year that this case was following him on, if he claimed two million in taxes, but there was twelve million
1: dollars in his bank account, and there you have it. Without that, uh, you know you got to call certain things into question. From your understanding, it seems as if John Dash did a number of things that were wrong, illegal. Uh, He seemed to be a bad accountant on every level. Would you say that that is true? Or was it that John Dash was just not sophisticated enough to be an accountant and the federal government came after John Dash and John Dash gave them whatever they wanted?
4: In his testimony, I read the cross-examination. If I'm not mistaken, John Dash admitted to not even
1: having an accounting degree. What was his history? Was he related to Damon Dash?
4: Um, You know what? I believe he is. I believe he is. I believe I saw something somewhere that said that. I'm almost certain.
1: So he's running basically an accounting firm, and it it comes out that this guy does not even have a degree? Not an accounting degree. Almost so he was—he was a scam artist, basically. That's what you're saying. Pretty much, yeah. He was telling Jimmy, Jimmy, to get money orders less than ten
4: thousand dollars at a time. He and there, this was specifically
1: project. for anything having to do with cash-related yes. transaction with his artist. And
4: considering, I believe. I read somewhere in the cross examination that John Dash was also gained accountant, which would be more of a reason for, I guess, to put these things in money orders
1: so that no cash, like you said, ends up floating away or anything goofy happens. So when you hear some of these other names under the Kingpin statute Black Mafia Family, Rayful Edmund, Larry Hoover, the Tijuana Cartel, Felix Mitchell, the guy who run, who ran Silk Road. What comes to mind, looking at those names, and then looking at Jimmy?
4: It's tough to imagine. It's really tough to imagine because if you follow the industry, then you know you could just Google images of this guy and see the circles that he ran in, the events that he was involved with, the artists that he managed. He had a full roster, five, six artists at some time. Kind of difficult. I don't i don't think you can put those others next to his name and say that they were consumed with, you know, uh, a legitimate business for 60 hours a week. It, it takes 60, you know, and that business it's babysitting. So how are you babysitting four or five different top-tier artists from A-list uh, and running a drug enterprise at the same time? It's a little hard to believe and hard to fathom. When I read and heard everything that was being said before they announced the verdict, I was like, there's no way in the world you can get convicted. That's what I said.
1: I said, there's no way. Well, why? Why? Because it was just, it
4: was so surreal. Because it was all, it wasn't that it was surreal. To me, it was, you didn't get caught with anything. You didn't get caught on, a, on tape doing anything. You're getting, their, their charges are all based upon a bunch of witnesses who had cooperating agreements. So, the bulk of their case was on people who had everything to gain by throwing Jimmy under the bus, how are you going to convict them? If those are your star witnesses and all of them had cooperating agreements, how are you going to convict him? If you don't have anything, quote-unquote, on him, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Nothing about it makes any sense. Any sense? And I know that he mentioned Shangau. He, throwing him, he thought he threw him under the bus. Which I kind of agree
2: he did,
4: but I didn't think that he needed, I I honestly didn't think that he needed it. To be honest, i was like, there's no way that they're going to believe that. Came back guilty across the board.
3: All right, so life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should Payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to $100 per day, or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So maybe you need to get your kids something special or you and the wife need a scintillating night out, every once in a while at least. So download Earn In Today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in the dossier under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com forward slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC.
2: I had subpoenaed Mike Tyson and Don King. Mike Tyson had begged me not to call him. He was on his comeback of clearing up his name and going mainstream, and he just didn't want to deal with the psychological part of getting on the stand and them questioning him about his um, stability psychologically. And I kind of speared him on that one, but Shargell didn't want to call him anyway. There were agents from ICM and um, CAA that I wanted him to call who booked all my acts that could have really explained to those things. Shargell has such a reputation of being a fighter that the Shargell, who's the fighter, didn't show up for that month and a half that I was on trial. That Shargell didn't show up. Shargell was just worried about the check. You know, there's like two more people that we haven't discussed. I don't know if they're important or not, and that's Brian James. That's the guy who said he had he heard overheard a, a drug conversation with me at the restaurant, and then Doug Coleman, who they didn't call. However, him and Henry Butler had got arrested together. But Doug Coleman would would have messed up their case, and that's the first thing that um, that Doug said after my trial. He said the reason they didn't call him was because he would have. Messed up the whole little web that they created because he knew the ins and out of what was going on, and he was like, "That's not what happened." I I didn't deal with Jimmy. I dealt with Khalil.
1: And was Doug Coleman partners with Henry Butler, or was he, Henry Butler and Khalil?
4: And Doug Henry Coleman
1: Butler went. was
2: dealing with Muhammad. Doug Coleman got probation for three years. He had agreed to testify if they called him. And they didn't call him, so they had to uphold their agreement. And so they gave him three years. Um,
1: And he's, uh, he's obviously out and based in Los Angeles. Yeah, he's in Los Angeles. He's an engineer, like a musical engineer. Doug got
2: three years probation. And like I said, the only reason that he didn't testify was because he would have destroyed the government case because he was going to say totally opposite of what the government... And when when, when when I seen his name on the witness list, I told, and they didn't call him, I told Shagel, I said, yo, there's a reason why they didn't call Doug, because Doug's name is throughout the whole trial. But I was like, there's a reason why they didn't call him. I said, if Doug tells the truth, Doug will you know, dispel all of the stuff that these guys have been saying.
3: If Doug Coleman could ruin the government's case, the information he had possibly could shed some light on how the drug operation between Henry Black Butler, Khalil Abdullah, and others actually worked. Why don't we start with Todd Kaminsky
1: and your interpretation of who Todd was? I
4: think that he was
1: prepped by some professionals in his office,
2: that this case would be a political gain for him if he can get a conviction. Obviously, you see that he's been after several offices in the last couple of years uh, in retrospect to his uh, upward mobility. And I think the offices that he's achieved since then has a lot to do with the uh, Jimmy Rosen case. You know, his agenda was to infiltrate the hip-hop community and find somebody of a high statue that he could go after and get a conviction, a federal conviction on for his, you know, political agenda.
1: What did the federal government present to the jury that was inaccurate in, in your opinion?
2: In my humble opinion, Sir Roseman, as I suggested to you in our first conversation, was part of an investment group. Terry business for people to, you know, um, make money. For them to insist that this was a business that he was the CEO or chairman or, you know, some kind of, you know, overseer of was just inaccurate. And he doesn't deserve a CCE
3: charge. Doug Coleman says here it was an investment group. A way to make money. There was no organization, no structure, and no hierarchy. The government told the story of a nationwide organization led by Jimmy. It sure does make an audacious headline. But I asked the question, was it really true? And for people
1: that don't understand what a CCE charge, to your knowledge, can you explain why the CCE charge is different than being a a part of what you're calling an investment group?
2: Well, I mean, you know, an investment group is, you know, is a light way of, of, you know, portraying something that was obviously illegal, but they tried to portray him as some kind of, you know, czar or boss or, or, you know, overseer of this business that, you know, he was responsible for paying people and hiring people, and that just wasn't the case targeted him because his name was attached to 1994 and Tupac and they thought that he would make great headlines and obviously they were right but it doesn't concede that it was cool for them to charge him with something so grandiose and charge no one out the truth is nothing surprised me you know it was every man for themselves you know, first guy to the door gets out. <laughs> Nothing surprised me. Every every agenda was made apparent after a short amount of time. If, if you would look at it for what it was, it, everything became apparent. You know, Todd Kaminsky didn't even try this particular case in court. He did the paperwork and the legwork, and then he was too busy to try the case. So he had another case— He passed all the stuff off to someone else, and then when he got a conviction, that conviction landed on his record. He got the gold star and moved on to become an assemblyman somewhere. For anyone that's looking, it seems like there was some kind of political gain off of this case. It seems like that was their agenda all along. His agenda from the very beginning was to infiltrate hip-hop as a whole. He wanted to know who killed Jam Master Jay. He wanted to know how, how 50 Cent got with Dr. Dre. He wanted to know fucking what, what the game's, uh, uh, you know, relationship with New York was. He wanted to know about Puffy and all of his New York versus Los Angeles connections. He wanted to know who shot Biggie. you know, what did you know about Suge Knight's crew and the people that he frequented, and a whole bunch of just arbitrary a- allegations that had to do with their depiction of what was the East Coast, West Coast hip-hop beef that was going on. You got a list of uh, names, you got a, a envelope full of photographs, Who knows who you're talking to, what you're talking about, how this all plays out in the real world. Who knows what's really going on in this session is how you feel when you're dealing with the government. They're not there to provide you any information. They're there to lie to you and get information from you. That's it. You're intimidated from the door because their agenda is to threaten you and every part of your essence to get what they want. These are the people that'll tell you, you know, oh, if your mom is back if your mom owes taxes, we'll take her house and and if your if your sister was involved, we'll arrest her. And if your wife knew about it, she's going to jail and shit like that. That's why they have a ninety percent conviction rate. At the end of the day, no matter what this criminal said and what that guy said and what this you know, what this newbie said, this guy that, you know, this doesn't really have much to do with this lifestyle. They attacked all of those people to get information from them so they can get a conviction for their political gain and put away another guy that the media told the whole world that was a bad guy. They didn't have to tell anybody anything. The media did for him. Chuck Phillips did the prosecutor's job. The braggadocio bullshit that's attached to questionable lyrics, questionable in respect to whether the shit you're talking about, the grandiose, braggadocio shit that you're talking about, is actually true or not. And I think that reflects right down to this case because we deal with a whole lot of hip hop elite drug dealers that then ship a hundred bricks across the country, and that's how they live. This. Hip-hop lifestyle, and this is bullshit. They're talking about somebody they heard about. And so is Chuck Phillips. Because, you know, every guy with a microphone has, you know, uh, chipped a thousand bricks. Every guy on a fucking record with RCA and Universal and Warner Brothers is, you know, responsible for the fucking detriment of some, some poor little city somewhere in the Midwest where they fucking sent, you know, $2 million worth of dope. So, you know, for them to try to attribute that to someone in real life without real actual facts and not just hearsay compares all of this to the grandiose bullshit that hip-hop is built on is all very insulting. When they have you there, they're dangling your life and your freedom and your lifestyle in front of you, and they're talking to you about things that have nothing to do with you. You know, how would anyone feel in such a respect? It's preposterous. Like, you're talking to me about who shot Biggie? In fucking, what year did that happen? I huh? If I tell you who shot Biggie, does that mean I... What does that mean? <laughs> what, is there some kind of game for people just to tell you arbitrary shit that has nothing to do with why you're in this meeting?
1: How would you describe... What you gathered from your time spent with Todd Kaminsky, he had a political agenda, period. I think,
2: I potentially think that his agenda is to follow the footsteps of Rudy Giuliani. Off of a big conviction, he can end up with a big office, period. And because of Jimmy's uh, alleged, you know, relationship with hip-hop and 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 all the things that went right and wrong with the East Coast, West Coast war that, you know, at the end of the day, he's the only one that's behind bars for anything that has anything to do with that. Um, They can use him as a scapegoat and suggest that they did a huge repair to something that was detrimental to America. And for that reason, he gets to climb the ranks in the political world. Then I asked him about his upward mobility, and he suggested that it was none of my business,
1: for lack of a better term. What do you think you, you learned from this experience and um, seeing this unfold? What you learned is what you already knew, what the world and
2: society and everybody has always told you. That when the shit hits the fan, everybody's gonna look out for themselves. All of that pertains to the threats of the government. And sometimes the threats of the government, and I think this is a prolific point that I'm attempting to make, sometimes the threats of the government are way higher than paying the price of your wrongdoing. You know, they want to take away your parents and your kids and your homes, and, your, and your, they want to take your life away.
3: What can you say? Doug went on the record and he broke down the mechanics of what the actual facts are and how it worked. It didn't sound too glamorous. It sounded unorganized. It sounds like maybe Jimmy dabbled in the drug game. But a drug kingpin? That couldn't be farther from the truth. So the question remains, what exactly did the jury see and hear when Jimmy went to trial? On the next Unjust Justice.